Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Everybody, it's great to see all of you. We are in this uh, series called Heroes, and um, what we're doing is we're taking the idea that comes out of Hebrews 11 and 12, and it's this idea when we read through what's the Hall of Faith. It's the writer of Hebrews giving us people that lived out a life of faith, and then in chapter 12 it says, "Therefore," so because of that, because of these examples. And it reads like this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, or you could say people in the bleachers, it's a great cloud of witnesses. For us, we don't really use that word cloud like that, but it's people that have gone before us because there's so many heroes of the faith that have gone before us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so they've run their race. And so whether you're talking about Adam to Noah, to Joshua, to Moses, to Abraham, go through all these Old Testament narratives of people that finished their race, they ran their race. And we wanted to take just a creative way and look at their lives. And this is, imagine if some of these greats, these were called heroes, these people that definitely not perfect, definitely broken, definitely messed up, but God used them. And if they were to encourage you in the race that you're running, you've got one race to run and we're all trying to run with perseverance, the race that we have for our lives and our lives are but a mere breath and they're over in an instant. We're trying to be faithful and persevere in what God's called us to do. And if we were to get to run a lap with some of these heroes of the faith, what, what would they encourage us with? Like if we were to look at some of the, the stories, the moments in their lives, we can kind of just get some real insights in how we can persevere. And so we're going to continue with that today and We started with Abraham, moved to Joseph, and then Moses. And today we're going to talk about Esther. And so uh, Esther chapter four, if you've got your Bibles, um, let me pray. And then we'll dive into Esther. Father, we love you. And we ask that, God, we would grow from looking at the life of this courageous young woman. We ask, Lord Jesus, that our lives would be different, that we would persevere, that we would not give up. We pray that we would grow by looking at this story. Help us. We pray that we would even see who Jesus is and we see some of the characteristics that Esther embodied lived out perfectly in Christ. And we ask Lord Jesus that we would grow as followers of Christ. We love you, we honor you, And Radiant Church said, amen. Amen. 
In 2011, uh, I had a beautiful sight of watching my two little girls, ages three and five, dress up like princesses and watch the royal wedding. And they watch it with wide-eyed, mouths open, something about it. They just loved that royal wedding. And in our culture, there's a whole lot of excitement about Disney princesses and kind of that royal wedding concept. And this 10 chapter book reads kind of like a story, a narrative about an orphaned girl that starts off with nothing and ends up living in the palace as a queen. It's the story of of Esther and her name was Hadassah and her Jewish name, and she becomes Esther. And she has, as an orphan, her cousin Mordecai, and he adopts her and he raises her. And then there's essentially a a, a beauty pageant and she's selected. Sounds like a Disney story. She's selected, she becomes queen. And there's kind of this evil man named Haman. And he gets this vision of let's get rid of the Jewish people. He goes to King Xerxes and says, you should make a decree that we should annihilate the Jews. King Xerxes agrees to it. And suddenly kind of the epic moment of Esther comes in Esther 4, where you have a Jewish queen living in a palace and she has hidden her identity as a Jew. And now there's about to be this edict or this decree saying, get rid of all the Jews. And Mordecai, this Jewish cousin of Esther, sends a note to her saying, you should go before the king and tell him not to do this. Use your royal position. And Esther sends back, if I go before the king, I could be killed. If you're not summoned by the king, then he can have whoever comes before him killed. To go before him is to risk my life. And Mordecai writes back what we pick up right here in Esther chapter four. This is where I wanna hang out today. Verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back the answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to, the roy- to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So here's Esther making this dramatic statement about a willingness to lay down her life, a willingness to risk her life for the sake of others. There's a whole lot of things in her life. I wanna highlight three, all from Esther 4. I wanna highlight that if Esther were to step out of the stands and come and run a lap with us, what might she say? And One of the things that I find intriguing about Esther that relates to our lives today is that she's got this place of royalty. She's got this high position. 
in her status, she's got wealth, she has servants, and because she hasn't identified herself as a Jew, it is possible that she could say, though this evil edict is about to take place, Xerxes does not know that I'm a Jew. Maybe I won't use my status to help my people. Maybe I'll use my status to preserve my own life. Hey, I am the queen after all. And Mordecai's coming on strong, being that, I don't know what a cousin was like in those days. I've never had a cousin confront me like this, but this is a strong cousin confrontation (laughs) where he says, do not think that. And he's kind of strong looking at her saying, hey, you go, you go confront the king. And if we see anything in Esther, it's this willingness to leverage her life for the sake of others. Because Esther could have clearly pulled back and hidden. And in the story, she's one who, if she goes and risks, she could die. And she knows if she doesn't risk, she could die and all the people could die. She also knows she could try to hide. She could just try to see if she's not found out. So she's got this important decision to make. What should I do? And she makes the decision to use her place of, the text says, royal position. I wanna use the word status. She uses this status, this influence, this what she has, not for herself, but with others on her mind, where she says, I'm gonna go before the king. I'm gonna risk my own life for the sake of the Jewish people. And I highlight that because I see in our current context, us possessing some degree of status, meaning we're a wealthy nation, meaning we have freedom, meaning we have available at our fingertips, all kinds of opportunities with our time, our money, our resource to make a difference in the lives of others, be it young people, be it people in Kansas City, people around the world, orphans in Haiti. We have opportunity. And I think just like Esther, we have to make a choice on if we'll use our status, if we'll use what we possess for ourselves or for others. If we'll, if we'll leverage what we have for me or if we'll lay down our lives for others. Jesus makes it really clear that those who lay down their lives will find it. And yet we live in a culture that says, no, 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 fight for self. And I think as I was reading Esther this week that King Xerxes, he embodies living for pleasure. Like the story of Esther, 10 chapters, is made up essentially of three parties. The guy is always partying. There's a a party that lasts for 180 days. I can't even fathom a party that, I mean, I don't even, that's that's a long party. And this is a guy who, I actually read this. This made me laugh out loud as I was reading this week. It might make you laugh, I'm not sure. But Esther 7, 7, look at this. The king got up in in a rage. And what do you do when you're in a rage? He left his wine. 
and went out to the palace garden. Like I just read that and thought, he's in a rage and the writer of Esther thought to include, he left his wine for a moment, like just for a second. (laughs) But he embodies this character that lives for pleasure. In the story, there's a man named Haman and he's consumed with praise. He's consumed with what people think about him and he wants power. And I think these two characters embody for us when someone's purpose is pleasure or someone's purpose is power. When you read it, I mean, 10 chapters, there's a lot we could pull out of Esther, but they live these lives where that's their purpose. That's their agenda. And there may be a lot of decisions that they're making, but at the core, the king, King Xerxes, he loved to party. Didn't seem like he was using his position to serve the people. Seemed like what he lived for was the party. And it seemed like when I read about Haman, what he was living for was not using his power for people. He wanted more power and he wanted to be praised by all the people. And you can read about it in the 10 chapters of Esther, but it's also tempting to live that out in our lives because we always are tempted to use our status for self instead of for service. And the good news of Esther is that she says, I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna flip the script. Instead of living for pleasure, power, praise from others, I'm gonna lay my life down for people. And when I read Esther, that's the part that is intriguing to me, is this willingness to leverage what she has because on her brain is not more servants, more wine, more comfort, preservation. On her mind is, I wanna save the Jewish people. And this courageous young woman who was an orphan, now is a queen, goes to the king and risks and ends up making a measurable impact by saving her nation. I was thinking about in the story of Esther, we see a quick turnaround. Like I'll read at the conclusion, Esther 8, where we read about how Esther actually saves her people. I was thinking about our context though, because many times we'll lay down our lives and we don't have that quick turnaround. Like we don't see, as we lay our lives down for others, the rewards quickly. Oftentimes we don't see people's lives transformed quickly. We, We can't see all of the benefits, all the ways that God is at work. But if you'll be faithful and use Esther as an example and look at laying your life down, there's story after story, generation after generation, where people lay down their life and instead of using their free time, their dollars, their influence for my luxury, for my own pleasure, but lay it down for others, there is what ends up being eternal reward and making a measurable impact on generations in the future. One of the famous stories about this and one of my favorites is the story of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham, 1934, was a preacher that was fairly well unknown and went on to continue just doing revivals. But in 1934, in Charlotte, North Carolina, led a revival service where there just so happened to be a 15-year-old boy who gave his life to Jesus named Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, out of the faithfulness of Mordecai Ham, doing revival services in Charlotte, North Carolina, 
He made a measurable impact and didn't know it for years. And you could think of person after person, story after story. I remember um, when I was in my early 30s, I, I love to talk to older pastors and just ask for wisdom. And so um, it's just, it's part of who I am. It's one of the things that I kind of got as a kid because I had such a, a great relationship with my dad and he was always kind of pouring wisdom into me that I just kind of became a, a question asker, like a, hey, let's go to coffee and let me just kind of ask you questions about ministry, about life. And, and I have this long agenda to do ministry my whole life. And so I, I've been talking to pastors about it for years. And my early thirties, I remember, I was sitting with this pastor and I said, just tell me a little bit of wisdom. Like just, you're 30 years older than I am. Tell, give me some wisdom and I'll never forget his response because it messed with me. And he said, he said, ministry is extremely hard. I think of ministry as whatever person can endure the most pain. And I thought, well, this is gonna be a long life, brother. You know, like. <laughs> and, and then he said, my encouragement to you is to develop a couple hobbies that you love, be faithful. And then, and then when you get into some of your older years before you're unable to do them, really do those hobbies really, really well. And I thought, okay. And you know, he gave me some examples of what his were. And, and I just remember thinking, wow, okay. Huh, I wonder if that's what I should do. And so I actually went out that, around that same time within a year and talked to, another pastor. And I didn't give the name, but I said, I just kind of received this wisdom from a pastor. And I just wanted to ask you, you're a little bit older than he is. And this guy was about 35 years older than me. And I just said, what wisdom would you give me in reference to that? And I'll just never forget this pastor. He looked at me and he said, I would throw that wisdom out the window. He said, if I were in your shoes, he said, I'd give my whole life to lay my life down for others. And if you get a salary as a pastor or not, you've got one life to live. And he said, in your 60s and 70s and 80s, make a difference in the lives of others. He goes, my dream is that I would, I may engage in doing some things for recreation, but it's not what I'm gonna live for. I'm gonna do what I'm doing right now in my 60s as long as I possibly can because you've got one shot, one shot to lay your life down and make a difference. And I determined that day that the second pastor was the vision that I wanted to pursue. And I wanna challenge you that if we could have Esther take a lap with us, I think one of the things, there's probably so many, but I think one of the things that she would say is the temporary pleasures of the planet go away and King Xerxes living for pleasure, Haman living for power, far, don't even compare to the greatness of an Esther who decided to seize her moment. And you have a moment, 70, 80, 90 years on planet earth, to seize her moment and live for the benefit of lifting others up. And the temptation is to go, I'll do it another day. There'll be another time that I'll do that. But Esther 4, Mordecai, who knows that for such a time as this, I wanna encourage you, now's the time. Now's the time for us to lay our lives down to make a difference for other people. Now's the time. 
And some of them you'll find out now, hey, it made a difference in our life. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. Thank you for serving. Thank you for encouraging. Thank you for discipling. Some of it you may learn a decade from now. Some of it maybe 30 years from now. Some of it not till heaven. But now is your time. Now is your moment. It's your Esther moment to leverage your life for others, not for self. To lay your life down for other people instead of for me and my pleasure. I remember when Renata and I moved here, one of the most enjoyable things was we went to uh, coffee with couples that were now in their mid to late 20s. And we thought that we didn't know them only to discover that God marked their lives in their teenage years at the Desperation Conference. And they tell me stories about what God did when they were an eighth grader. And so I led a, a youth conference for 16 years in Colorado called Desperation. And they tell us these stories. And I remember getting in the car with Renata saying, those teenagers grow up to be real people. <laughs> like back then it looked like a sea of, I mean, you know, it's not as pretty, you know, but like some sweat and some hormones and some woo, it's not smelling too good. But, but those grow up to be people now that are marked by God and, and, and man, thank God for taking those moments to invest in people. And so I want you to just kind of think in your mind, what would it look like for you at your, where you work? school, neighborhood, gym. How could I, how could I lay my life down? And sometimes we'll think, nah, I need some kind of epic Esther story. No, here's, it's just, it just starts with the people that you know right now. Your circle of influence, people that you, I could, I could lay my life down for that person. I, I, could, I could figure out a way to make a difference in their life. And you're not gonna hear this from culture. Culture's not gonna tell you to make a difference. Culture's gonna look at you and say, hey, live for pleasure. Hey, live for self. They say make a dollar, not make a difference. And, and yet the Jesus way that we see embodied in the Old Testament narrative of Esther is lay your life down. Jesus is actually the one that is the greatest example he went to the cross. He laid his life down for others. It's an invitation for you and I to go. We see, we see it in Esther. We really see it in Jesus. And you don't know the stories that are forming. You can't see them. In the 1930s, Billings, Montana, pastor of a small church, he began to go home to home just trying to love the people in the neighborhood near his church. Went to the house of a single mom, four kids. Husband had ran away to the railroad and left them. She worked a low-end job in the hospital trying to provide for her four kids. She made three meals a day, mostly from potatoes because it's all that they could afford. And this pastor began to just pray for them, love them, serve them. Got some people in the church to serve this single mom and her kids. And then the 15 year old boy, the oldest of the four kids slowly became interested in this 
pastor who demonstrated such kindness to their family when his father had run away. He didn't have any other male figure in his life. And before too long, that pastor began to disciple the 15-year-old. The 15-year-old gave his life to Jesus. The 15-year-old at age 16 made a decision that he wanted to be a pastor like the pastor that had loved him. Seems like, huh, just kind of a normal story, except then that pastor married a woman named Arlene and they had a baby named Deborah. And that Deborah just happens to be my mom. And that one pastor unknown, I don't even know his name in Billings. Boy, when you look at my parents, they're followers of Jesus. Their kids are followers of Jesus. And who knows, this unnamed guy changed the lineage. Here's my point. You can't see. You don't know. Only eternity will show. And your temptation is, let me use my status for self. But Jesus says, no, no. If you're given status, use it for service. Use it to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so that's why we're casting big vision, like big vision, like who knows that we just try to reach as many young people and teenagers as possible. And there might just be this summer, a bold 2019, might just be three or four Billy Grahams sitting in the crowd, right? Like just laying out, just, just we don't know, but it's, it's tempting to go, no, no, this is silly. This is a bunch of sweaty kids. I got other things to do. I'm too, I, I want to invite you to thank God. How can, I, how can I live my life down? What would it look like in a small group? What would it look like? And, and you know, Holy Spirit, lead me. What are the ways where I can take what I have? And the temptation is to always say, I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough status. I don't have enough influence. But instead, I want to invite you to just say, God, this is my time. This is what I have. And God goes, I'll, I'll use what you've got. And the little things that you can't see right now could make a massive difference. I think if we were to get Esther running a lap with us, she, if anybody, could have said, I'm going to use my status for luxury. And I think as Americans, we're told, use your status for luxury and pleasure. And I think the invitation would be, hey, you got one shot, one chance. Man, take the gifts that you've got. Take the skills, take the dollars, take the time, take what, and just make a difference in the lives of others. I think the other thing is right here. She talks, she, she looks at everybody and she challenges them to fast. Look at this. Esther 4, verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to cousin Mordecai. I added the word cousin. I just want you to get that relationship. <laughs> Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. Esther's strength is not enough. She wants supernatural strength. Like it's not just, okay, I'm gonna go in my power. She's going, no, we're gonna fast. And I'm gonna fast first. I think Esther would look at us and say, okay, Leverage your life for others and fast first. You're, it's not about you. You need God's power. Can you imagine the decision that she had? All right, choice A, go before the king and maybe die. Choice B, maybe 
Don't go before the king and die. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, what do I do? We think we have hard choices. And here Esther goes to fasting and she says, three days. She mobilizes other people to fast. She fasts. And did you see the severity of this fast? Three days, no food or drink. I'm just saying, that's not like 2019 evangelical fast. <laughs> like right now, it's like, hey, I'm fasting three days. What are you fasting? Facebook. And <laughs> I put a proclamation on Facebook. Hey, all, just so you know, I won't be here for three days. I'll be fasting all of you via Facebook. And whatever rewards I was going to get in heaven, I just lost by telling you, you know. <laughs> and your father who sees what is done, not on Facebook, will reward you. And you know, like, I mean, I remember this. <laughs> Renata and I were leading a retreat in Colorado, a fasting retreat. And this dude was like, yeah, man, on this retreat, I'm like totally fasting desserts. Can't really do food. I'm going to fast desserts. And I was like, bro, so proud of you. Way to go. And I'm really mean it. Like, that's awesome. You know, baby steps. It's good. Let's start with desserts. Way to go. And then he's like drinking a milkshake. <laughs> I was like, bro, I thought you were fasting desserts. And he was like, oh, bro, this is, this is, this is a drink. It's like, <laughs> so I'm just saying Esther's fast. <laughs> Josh is like, I'm running with that one. Oh, suddenly I found an avenue to start fasting. I read Esther's fast and this is a severe fast. And the essence of it is my own strength is not enough. I need supernatural strength. I need God. And I just want to invite you to think about how you could apply that in your own life. We do 21 days of prayer and fasting every January together as a church. And I want you to think example like uh, Esther, how could you in your own life, when you face an obstacle, you don't need to tell people, you don't need to proclaim it, but in your own life, what would it look like if you were to secretly fast first? If you were to go, God, I just need you as I'm facing this big decision, as I'm facing this obstacle, as I'm facing this pain, as I go through this challenge. And if you in your own life decided to be a fast first person, we tend to leave fasting out just kind of, it's one of those things in the Bible where we're just like, ah, I'm an American, I don't have to do that, you know? And, but, but, but I just think maybe we just, maybe just read the story and just, just, just read Jesus. And Jesus talks about fasting and historically we've got examples of people throughout church history that fast and people all throughout the Bible fasted and just what it might look like if you said, I'm going to voluntarily forego some food for the sake of putting my heart before God and asking God to do a supernatural work inside of me that I might gain some of God's strength, not just my own. And Esther stares at a situation that seems challenging. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine just the weightiness. Which, which way do I go? What do I do? The crazy part of the Esther story is that this obstacle becomes her opportunity because it was actually through that challenging edict or decree for, from King Xerxes that seemed like the end for the Jewish people that Esther stepped into it, fasted, stepped out in courage and became the deliverer.
of her people. And I think that in our own lives, when you look at the thing that seems like it's gonna tear your life apart, it's that obstacle that is just, how am I gonna get past this? I think that we could look at Esther and say, all right, God, maybe this obstacle is an opportunity, a chance for you to be at work. And so I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna seek God, not just my own strength. I want God's strength. Last thing that I see in this is Esther's courage. And it's just this phrase, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, meaning I risk my life. And the famous Esther quote, and if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. It's this courageous step into the unknown, into uncertainty. We love certainty. I mean, don't make me take a step into uncertainty. But this step of courage is, I don't know how this is gonna go. I'm not sure how this plays out, but I'm gonna walk. And I think it's because for us, we can read the story of Esther and we know how it concludes. We know the end of the story. We know how it all ends, but Esther didn't know. And right now, you don't know. You don't know how your story ends, but right now in the uncertainty, can you fast and pray and lay your life down for people even when you don't know exactly how this is gonna play out? Can you choose? Look at the way that this ends. Esther eight sixteen. After Esther goes before the king, the king says yes to Esther. Esther highlights Haman is the one who's trying to get rid of the Jewish people. And the king has Haman killed. And now there's favor on the Jewish people because of Esther, because one woman walked with bravery and courage fasting, laying her life down for others. And then the destiny of her people becomes verse 16. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. So it ends well. It ends amazing. But I wanna invite you, you're in the middle of your Esther moment. You don't, know how, you don't know how it's gonna end. You're walking by faith. You're walking with courage. You're going vertical. God, I need you fasting. I need your strength. I need supernatural strength in the midst of my challenge, my obstacle, the thing that seems so hard. God, this isn't about me. I'm gonna give this to you. And I just want you, I want you to be aware of the people that are impacted that you probably don't know right now based upon you making the courageous choice like Esther. When she made the choice, she, she, she had no idea. And you don't know serving kids, praying for your own children. I don't know all the ways you could lay your life down. But that's what lasts. And I think if you could go back and run a lap with yourself, you'd be saying these things, hey, don't live for power and pleasure. It's fleeting. Man, be courageous. No 
God. Make a difference. Lay your life down for others. Get in your face before God. I see so many people living this in our context. As I was writing this message, I started to have example after example of people that are in Radiant Church that so live this. And I've watched them live it and then have other people start to live it around them because they see their example. And I'm, I'm dreaming of that, that more and more we'd live it and other people start to follow you when they see it in you. Billy Graham's famous quote, he said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. I'm going to edit Billy Graham's quote and make it my own today. Courage is contagious. When a brave woman takes a stand, like Esther, the spines of others are stiffened. I love her example. My prayer is, is that we would learn from her example, that she would be a hero of the faith that we look at and we go, God, Help me live like that now. We stand your feet. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the honor of being your people. It is our greatest delight to be your disciples. We'd rather be disciples of Jesus than have big bank accounts or have big houses or have luxuries, live in a palace. We want to lay our lives down like Jesus did. We want to fast and pray like Jesus did. God, we want to be brave and courageous like Jesus was. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we run our races, may we do so with perseverance. Give us supernatural strength, we pray in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you wanna begin a journey with Jesus, you're tempted to give up. You just checked out, but God's doing a fresh work in your heart today. And you go, no, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to, I, I can't run this race on my own. I need Christ. I want to invite you just to today, pray this prayer, begin this journey. Let today be a day that changes everything. And just pray this, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that He's already run a race, persevered, went to a cross for me that I might live. I want to live with you forever. I give you my life. Save me, change me, heal me, do a fresh work in me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I will follow you. Not my will, but yours be done in me. In Jesus' name, amen.